Welcome to the Modern Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Gavin Meenan, and on this podcast, I will be speaking to inspirational individuals who specialize in the field of physical and mental health to offer you the tools that you need to become a stronger, healthier, and more confident man in today's world. Hello and welcome to episode number 55 of the Modern Warrior podcast. Today I am honored to have Jeremy Goldberg with me today on the episode. Uh, Jeremy is the author of a book called Long Distant Love Bombs and he is currently leading the kindness revolution. <laughs> Interested to hear more about this. I came across Jeremy on, an, on a TED Talk, actually, uh, and I would encourage all of you to check it out. I will put the link to that TED Talk in the show notes below, so go check it out after this podcast. And, uh, yeah, an inspirational character who will absolutely l- give you a fully loaded, highly valuable episode here today. So no pressure, Jeremy. Good to have you here. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, man. Now, now I'm feeling a little bit of nerves, but yeah, stoked, stoked to be here, Gavin. And and thanks for the invite. And thanks also for what you're doing in the world. You know, trying to put out some good work and some good content about men and masculinity, which is sorely needed. And uh, yeah, just stoked to meet you. Yes, for sure, man. Much appreciated. Thank you. And uh, so, I know some of your story in terms of where this began, and um, those who do listen or have listened to your TED talk will know as well, but sort of to give us a bit of a, a brief background as to your humble beginnings in terms of how this came to be the, uh, the kindness revolution, the long, long distance love bombs. Uh, I love the story. So feel free to share some of that with us. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, so gosh, where do we begin? Uh, my background is in, uh, conservation and coral reefs. So I spent years working for the Australian government. I spent two and a half years down in American Samoa in the South Pacific. Uh, I lived in Thailand for a bit. So I'm a science dork and I've transitioned from a science dork into a recovering scientist now who is a podcast host, life coach, spoken word poet. I joke that I'm a compassion cultivating, day-making change agent. I'm an empathy collecting anti-quitting word wizard. I'm a ferocious never giver upper. Like that is my jam. I, I, in my spare time, collect silver linings. I'm trying to make kindness, cool and compassion commonplace. Like that's the overarching umbrella mission, partially because I'm very lazy and it seems like a very reasonable world to create. And another part of me also feels deep frustration and pain when I look around at the state of our societies and our culture. And I feel like we can do it differently. I feel like we can do it better. And, um, and I feel like kindness and compassion is like a root solution to a lot of the, the core problems that I see around the world. So there's that. Uh, how it began, um, I was doing a PhD in the Northeast of Australia and I was studying the people of the Great Barrier Reef doing some surveys and trying to explore climate change attitudes and behaviors. And I started this little side hustle on the side 
and I called it long distance love bombs. And I was uh, making magnets and in Australia, they call them like beer koozies, like stubby holders where you like hold your beer. They're like these fabric and you have those in, in the UK, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I've seen them before. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like putting little quotes on them and I was making prints, like inspiring messages and little encouraging insights and just trying to like make the world a little bit brighter. And uh, so I started doing that. And basically one day I, I was standing at the airport and I was waiting for my flight and I looked over and I saw this woman who was crying. She was talking on the phone and she was crying and I just observed her falling apart for a few minutes. And then she hung up the phone, she put it down and then she just sat there sort of sobbing. And I, I felt terrible and I was confused. I was like, what do I do? Like, what is she going through? Like, what just happened? Like, what did I just witness? You know, it was one of those phone conversations where you could tell that she was definitely experiencing a tragedy of some kind. It wasn't like, oh, you know, they're out of my favorite kind of food at the supermarket. It was like some shit just went down. And, and then I just was sort of standing there staring. I didn't know how to respond or, or how to react. And I, I observed that she was in the middle of a bunch of people waiting at the gate at the airport. And, and she was completely alone, that nobody around her was, seemed to notice her. They were all staring at telephone screens and reading magazines, etc. And so I was like, oh, well, I want to do something. And so I grabbed a business card out of my wallet and I wrote on the back of it, it'll be okay and you will be too. And then I walked over to her and I handed her the card and I gave her a little pat on the shoulder and we like, we made eye contact and she, her eyes were just filled with tears. And, and then I just walked away and not a word was said. I have no idea what this lady thought was going on. Um, and I walked away and I was so nervous and I was anxious and, and I refused to look back and I just walked and then um, boarded my flight and was just pondering the state of the planet a little bit of uh like why that is okay. Like, why is that okay for a human being to completely fall apart in a crowd and have a really difficult, sad experience by themselves? Like what, what is going on? Like, why is that the world that we live in? It just didn't make any sense to me. Like I'm a scientist. I'm very rational. I'm very analytical. And I, like, my, I was like crunching the numbers of the world in my mind, just like, what the fuck? Like, this just, this doesn't compute. Like, surely there's a better way. Surely there's a different means of living that we can all agree is more acceptable and more helpful and more loving than the one we've got. And so I started sort of daydreaming about what that world might look like. And it was like, I pictured that same lady at the same airport crying the same tears, but like the people around her noticing and doing something about it of like, Hey, are you okay? Hey, do you want to talk? Hey, do you need a hug? Hey, can I do anything to help you in this moment? Asking her, what can I do to support you right now? Like just seeing her having a human experience as a fundamental foundational thing upon which to build our society and our culture. I, I was just like, this makes some sense to me. Right. Um, 
And so I started leaving little notes around the world, or not around the world, around my neighborhood, basically. I would write little uh, notes on the back of my business card and I would leave them in public spaces. I would leave them at the at the grocery store in the pile of potatoes and I would put them on people's windshield wipers and I would just uh, leave them at, on cash registers. And like, it was just fun to me and it was playful. And I like the idea that people could just find this little bit of encouragement wherever they go randomly. And, um, and that was kind of the crux of it, man. And I, I like sort of branded it to myself and, the people that followed me as this kindness revolution. I was like, I'm going to start a kindness revolution. Fuck. Yeah. Like it's happening. And also I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm a broke PhD student who studies coral reefs. I live in the rural part of Australia. You know, I have a couple hundred followers, like <laughs> what the fuck am I going to do? Right. Uh, and so my response to that was simply to do something. I'm like, I'm going to write some notes on a bunch of these business cards just to feel like I'm trying, right? I'm just, I'm not all talk. I have started, you know? And, and it was just like a, a snowball down a mountain. Like one thing led to another. I started an Instagram account and a podcast and I started coaching people and I, I left my job in science and that was really hard and, and challenging for a number of reasons. And yeah, now I host retreats around the world and I have a, a pretty good following on the internet and people read my words and, uh, and I had no intention whatsoever of doing any of this. I was like dead set on my career path of being a scientist and I was far along that path. Like I'd spent a decade or so working in that field and my dreams were like to publish in nature and have a research team and get big funding grants and like do that shit. And then from out of nowhere, this little, I call it a heart whisper inside was like, Hey, like, bro, you got to do this thing. It's like, like drop some more love bombs and like, Hey man, this is cool. We're like, this is fun. Like, and, and my, it was like a mistress almost like, I've never had a mistress, just, just to clarify if my partner listens to this. Uh, but I met, like my head was turned, so to speak. There was like, there was an interest in this place where there was no interest before. And I was thinking about it, like when I'm laying in bed at night and while I was at work at my desk, working for the Australian government, I was like logging on to write a blog and respond to comments and shit. And man, and, and I had a battle for like maybe a year. I call it the Valley of the Suck, where I was just marching through the suck of like writing a PhD thesis is really hard. And I, I had this other side project called Long Distance Love Bombs, which was weird. And me just blogging on the internet and like, what the hell is the internet? And I was confused and my scholarship was expiring. So like my financial spigot was getting shut off in a couple months and I had to figure out my life and my supervisors asking me where I'm going to apply for jobs and my parents are asking me what my plans are and my my girlfriend was asking me what we're doing and where we're going to live and I, I was just like so confused and just stressed out and anxious and uncertain and at some point after various 
realizations that I can speak to. I was like, fuck it. I'm not pursuing science anymore. And I bought an old rusted van in Los Angeles and I drove around the Southwest and the West coast of America for like four months hiking and camping and engaging in all kinds of fuckery and uh, to fill my cup. And I was like, all right, I'm going in, I'm going all in on this love bombs thing. That's what I called it for a while. Like this love bombs thing. And, um, and here we are, man, random Irish gentlemen <laughs> land in my inbox and they're like, yo, can I talk to you? And I was like, yeah, bro, let's, let's jam. <laughs> let's go, man. And an absolute pleasure to have you here, as I said. And yeah, that's, that's amazing. Like the, the fact that you had invested so much time and energy and money into the, uh, into the science degree and on, onto a PhD and to just walk away from all that, you know, that was uh, an incredibly courageous step and a lot of people listening to this a lot of men listening to this right now are perhaps in a similar situation where they're so far into something that they that 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 they're not passionate about they may be doing it for the, for the wrong reasons for the money for the the materialistic achievements for the for the status whatever it is and yeah i mean that was you in terms of being so invested in this journey and you said, nah, fuck this journey. This isn't me. This isn't, this doesn't um, excite me anymore. Or if it, if it did excite you before that, maybe it didn't. And he said, nah, I'm going to, I'm going to pursue this. So, and again, you're taking a huge risk because as you said, no idea what you were doing, <laughs> just absolutely taking a, a massive risk and a gamble and leaving all that behind you. So, yeah, that's that's my immediate thoughts when I when I hear about that story. That that the fact that you're so far into it, and then to say no, nah, not for me. Yeah. So, like, was there sort of a an epiphany there, or sort of a a defining moment where you said, "No, nah, this is this is it." Uh, the, like as I said, the fact that you're so far into it, almost at a almost a PhD, or if you had a PhD, but you're, yeah. uh, you're going that direction and say, "No, nah, I'm done here." Yeah. So there were a few defining moments. One was I took a journal down to the beach one day and I was, uh, I was feeling all the things. And I wrote down this line in my journal, which was hearts change their minds. Hearts change their minds. And what I meant was I had this big dream to be a scientist and to help save the Great Barrier Reef and to you know, be a professor at a university one day. That, that was what my heart was fully calling for, for many years. And, and that was true for me. And then my heart changed its mind is the only way that I can describe that is like, there was this other thing that my whole body inside as cliche and woo woo as that is, was like, yo, it's this, like, this is it this is the new direction. Like we, we, we ride at dawn, bro. Like we're going, it's happening. And I, when I described that year long, like Valley of the suck, that to me was the inner resistance and the battle between my mind and my heart. And I was trying to justify my way out of that intuition. I was trying to force alignment. I was trying to convince myself why 
that would never work. And I was making pros and cons lists. And the whole time, my heart inside was like, just those little whispers. So that was a big one. Um, Another one was when I I learned about the idea of sunk costs, which is, I think, what, what I was dealing with, which was I had sunk time, energy, heart, (laughs) finances, life. I put like a decade into this dream and building this up. And I had, I did a bachelor's degree. I did a master's degree. I lived all over the world. I was, you know, two thirds of the way through a PhD. Like I had worked my ass off, man. And I had achieved a level of success in that field that was, that I was proud of. Like I was working with world-class scientists. I was working with people that I adored and respected and admired. I was working for the Australian federal government. Like I had my swipe card and my cubicle, like I had made it, I had made it. And at that same time, it's, it's like the cliche story about, I had the, I had the car and the, million dollars and the white picket fence and the two children. And my wife was a supermodel, but there was something inside of me that just didn't quite feel content or fulfilled. Like that was straight up me. Like I was getting paid to scuba dive on the great barrier reef. Like that was my job. That's outrageous. Um, so anyway, the idea of sunk costs of, um, and I heard Kyle Cease, who's a transformational speaker. He described it like, uh, imagine you're, you're on a flight from LA to New York and halfway through the flight, the plane catches fire and the flight attendant is like, Hey, we're going down, but here's a parachute. Like we have a parachute for you. Everybody else, like we're leaving. Uh, and you're like, no, no, no. Thank you, but I purchased a ticket to New York, so I'm going to um, stay on the plane. It's like that—that sounds so obvious and ridiculous. Like you would never do that. However, when that analogy is our own life, and our life is burning down around us, when we are drinking too much, and our relationship suffers, and we maybe hate our life and, and we uh, feel sick when we're driving to work in the morning and, you know, we watch too much Netflix or we smoke too much, or we're at the pub all the time or whatever. Like that is a different version of our life burning down around us. And so like to take the parachute and to jump out of a plane, 30,000 feet is kind of analogous to what it felt like for me. It was like, am I really doing this? Like I needed a year or six months of internal dialogue and pep talk to, to make the move. And I think the third thing that was helpful at that time was when I realized that I was currently living my worst case scenario. Like in that moment, I was living my worst case scenario. And what I mean by that was I started just really coming face to face with my fears and my shadow and what was really at the heart of my reasoning for not making that move. And so I was like, okay, worst case scenario, like what happens? Like, where are we at right now? I got very clear on that. Like, how much money do I have? What are my expenses? What am I, what are my obligations? And for me, I was very blessed. I didn't have uh, children. I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have a wife. And so the rules of the game of my life might be different to the rules that 
the person listening to this. And that's okay. It just means you're playing a different game and you have a different way, you have a different set of constraints within which to make your decisions. So for me, how much money do I have? How much money am I making? Which at the time was, was very not a lot. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, okay, worst case scenario, I buy this van, I drive around America for four months, I have X amount of dollars in the bank because I've spent this much money, then what? Then I'm going to just go all in. I'm going to try to make money. I could coach. I could sell my, my merchandise, et cetera. Like, okay, cool. If that totally goes down the drain and you fail spectacularly and your life falls apart, like, what does that look like? What is that worst case scenario? And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be broke. I'm going to have no more money. I'll have to sell that van. Um, I'll have to probably move in with my family. Like I might have to move in with my mom and she'll have to like cook me meals and buy me stuff. And that would be very humbling and very um, not ideal, right? To, to like have a doctorate degree and no money and live with my mom is like, is not where I thought my life would be at that time, right? But I stared that worst case scenario in the face and was like, okay, that's the worst case. At the same time, what a blessing to know that I will never, I'll never starve. I will have a roof over my head. I have people that love me. I have people that will take care of me. And so I found the silver lining that I alluded to earlier that my hobby is collecting silver linings, right? So I was like, okay, I'm living with my mom. I'm broke. I'm out of money. Mom's cooking for me. I'm, I'm petting her cats. Like what, what then? Okay. Well then, uh, I have 10 years of experience. I have a PhD. I have publications. I have connections. I have networks. I have skills and knowledge and abilities. Like I'll get a job. I am employable. Like I know that to be true. Okay. I'll get a job. What kind of job? Well, I'll probably get a decent job because I'm good at what I do. I'm a good scientist. I have good connections. I'll probably get a job for the government where I'll work in a cubicle and write reports and I'll get my swipe card and my government email address, just like I have right now. And in that moment, Gavin, it was like <laughs> brain melting epiphany of like, oh my God, I am literally right now where I sit in this government cubicle, I am living my worst case scenario. Like if it, if I take the biggest swing of my life, if I take the biggest chance and I risk it all, the worst thing that happens to me is like, I end up right back where I am right now. And like, yeah, I'll have a lot less money, but I will have uh, a suite of memories and experiences and I will have lived a life and I will have adventures and I will have tried this entrepreneurial journey and wow, like that version of life sounds pretty cool to me. Like I was okay with that, that idea of you can't put a price on memories, right? Where I was like, that's a dope life. If, if I, you know, if I died next year, if I, on my deathbed, I would, I would feel more suffering wondering what would have been than the suffering that I would know from trying and risking and not succeeding. Like it just felt in my bones, like a better 
version of suffering to take the chance and find out. And so I did. And, uh, and fortunately it worked out, which I don't know in your experience, but in mine, looking back at my life, when I've had these little heart whispers, these little serendipitous opportunities, it's like, Hey man, you could go live on a boat in Thailand and get paid in noodles. I was like, sweet. That sounds dope. I'm in. And it hasn't steered me wrong yet versus when I have ignored those whispers and forced myself into a life that I knew was not the one that I wanted to be living. I have felt health issues. I've drank too much. I've, I've been unwell. And so what I've learned through all of that is the idea of this invisible staircase is how I've been, I've read it described, which is like, you can't see the staircase, but you can feel the next invisible step forward of where you need to go. And for me in that example, it was like, bro, you need to go for a couple months and adventure in the West coast of America. And that made no rational sense. Like I had to explain that to my parents. It's like, yeah, so I've got a PhD now I'm a doctor. Um, and I've decided to buy a van. I'm going to go live in a van actually, um, for several months. Um, I'm not going to make any money over the next few months, but you know, it feels right. So namaste. Thanks dad. Uh, <laughs> what? Uh, but for me, that was the very next invisible step on the journey. And then from there, I felt the next one and I felt the next one and I felt the next one. And I have been on this ongoing journey to cultivate faith for that inner heart compass, mm -hmm. I suppose. Yeah. So that, many, that makes sense. Yeah, man, that's that's unreal, man. Love that. And <laughs> again, how many of you listeners are, are living out your worst case scenario right now? And I just love how you sort of broke that down into its absolute fundamental parts and understanding that, yes, I am exactly. Uh, Can where, I just add where, to that briefly? I failed. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So so oftentimes the pushback that I receive is, well, it must be nice for you, guy, because you had a degree and you had no kids and you had money in the bank and you didn't have any student debt and blah, blah, blah. And like my answer to that is, yeah, it was. It was really fortunate. I was really blessed to have uh, made a series of decisions throughout my entire life to put myself in a position where I could do that. And yeah, I'm, I was very lucky. And to every person that I've had pushback from, clients, people listening to my podcast or this podcast, it's like, cool, like make a list of all of the things that you have in your life that might help you, your skills, your abilities, people that you know, uh, wild ideas, dreams, etc. And so again, to reiterate, the game that I am playing with my life has different rules than the game that you, dear listener, are playing with. And that doesn't mean that any are worse or better. It just means that they're different. And so the idea that I propose to people is like, what does it look like to win your version of the game of life? 
Like, what are your relationships like? When you get out of bed in the morning, how do you feel? When you look in the mirror, what comes up for you? Like, like to re-examine your definition of success and to re-examine who you truly are and who you truly want to be. Because at the root of it, that's, that's the core stuff to focus on. And so for me, it was like, I want to, when I'm on my deathbed and I'm looking back at my life, like, or even now, like, I want to be a person who believes in himself enough that he takes chances that call to him. Like, I want to be brave. I want to love myself so much that I'm okay disappointing other people. Like, I want to ask for help. Like, I want to admit defeat and wave the white flag and be like, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you, can you help? Do you have ideas? Who do you know that might be helpful? Um, and so when you look at who you want to be rather than what you want to have, what you want to get, that fundamentally shifts your own internal perspective. And from my experience, changes everything. Mm-hmm. So rather than focusing on how to get the dream life, figure out who you need to be so that the dream life is completely normal. It's like, oh yeah, of course you have that stuff because you're brave, you do the work, you feel your feelings, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So I just, I would offer that Mm -hmm. to anybody that may have had anything that was stirred up by my my life. Yeah. Well, yes. Well, people are always going to perhaps justify a reason to not do it. And that is something they'll do. It's almost like I feel a, a defense mechanism. Oh, well, look, you had X, Y, and Z. I don't have X, Y, and Z, so I can't do that. You know, close the book, move on. So yeah. it's, 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 it's defensive. It's fear, again, perhaps. So, um, and it's, again, it's not just, I wouldn't take anything that personally if that was sort of brought brought up in terms of my own journey. Uh, like my journey, again, humble beginnings. I was made redundant from a job that, again, I was in for all the wrong reasons because I was conditioned to believe that you go to college, you get your nine to five, you earn your wage, you move on with life, you move up the ladder, da 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 da, and then I get knocked off the ladder. And I think, oh, oh fuck, okay, now where do I go? Yeah with the bottom of the ladder again. And ultimately I started to, uh, to build my own ladder or build my own staircase. And I've been walking up that ever since. And it's just been determined by my actions and my behaviors. And ultimately down to my passion of also helping people started off personal training, online coaching, uh, online coaching men now, and also mentoring men. So it's, it's evolved into, into something deeper in terms of not just fitness and, and health, but also uh, helping guys with their, with their personal issues as well. So as I've been through plenty of my own, so it's, it's been a journey. And as I said, I understand where you're coming from and that's something I feel deeply passionate about. And I was fortunate enough to have been knocked off that ladder so I could reevaluate my life and come up with something new. For yourself, as I said, uh, yeah, from my perspective, it was a massively brave move. But I just, as I said to you earlier, I love how you broke it down into its fundamental parts and understood that, yeah, ultimately, I've got nothing to lose. Because 
if if all goes tits up and I, and I fail, I'll just end up back where I am right now. So I think it's a, that's just an, a, it's an important evaluation. Yeah. Just to add to that, and you know that I know that you know, but like everything I just shared, like that process was was so incredibly uncomfortable and really hard. And like I, I had anxiety and I was worried and you know I wasn't sleeping great on certain nights and various relationships completely fell apart and I lost friends and I've lost touch with people that I really cared about. And gosh, like even just saying that now, I feel it in my body of like, oh, there's still some grief there of like, oh man, that was hard and sad and difficult. And and that is why most people don't make those kinds of decisions. Right. And Gavin, I'm sure you've experienced that too. Getting knocked off the ladder Oh, it sucks. Yeah. You're like, oh, I was so high up that ladder, and yeah, I'm not. And the thing about it is, when you get knocked off a ladder, it fucking hurts. So, yeah, hurt for a long time. I like that was a big rejection that I that I struggled to deal with for a period of time, and it, it wasn't as if, oh, oh, okay, it's made redundant. Back home, you know what? I'm gonna start my own business now. Was it fuck? I was in pure panic mode, anxiety. All of that, man, oh. fucking depression, you name it, went through the fucking, all the worst, worst sort of emotions and feelings you could, you could uh, come up against and sort of having lost, as you mentioned there, there's a loss. Yeah. I lost this sort of idea of, of where my life was going. So you're sort of grieving mm-hmm. this, this lost, lost life, these lost aspirations, these lost ambitions. And you get to the point of acceptance in terms of, okay that's how it is all right and uh for me i came to the conclusion that okay you know what i I can't find a job here i'm just gonna take a chance and create a job and just started uh, started a facebook page personal training one of my good friends was my first client was my client for probably the first two or three months before i got another client and just built on from there and as i said i just went all in on that and invested all my time and energy into to the point where i'm here today and uh it's just mm. just gone on and on to two published books help people worldwide i've helped hundreds of of not of not if not over thousands of people at this point and uh yeah it's it's all down to that decision but that decision as i said didn't come just from the redundancy like i had to i had to uh heal that hurt first before i could pick myself back up again and okay now where do i go um, so yeah, I understand where you're coming from for sure. For sure. Like I, I after it's made redundant, I went back home and I was like straight into looking for a new job straight into look. And I actually got a new job as a manager in another retail store and I was fired from there. Thank you very much. So again, I was going back up the ladder again. No, no, no. We don't want you here. Knocked off again. So okay, maybe there's something here I need to start paying attention to. So, and over time, Thankfully, I started to pay attention and I started to take action. So yeah, it's not an easy process. And like yourself, man, and I was uh, I was nodding my head there when you were saying uh, losing relationships and losing friends. There's there's all nearly all my college friends. I don't speak mm. to any of them bar one now and again anymore. Um, you know, I left all that behind. I left that life behind. I left part of me behind and i had to do that in order to become 
someone else or not become someone else, but maybe just to bring myself to a different level and a different way of thinking, different way of living. So yes, I can, I can relate my friend. And it's something I spoke about on a previous podcast. It was, it was actually uh, highlighted to me that this is part of personal growth where you enter this place. I don't know if you've come across this before, but a place called the void where that's where it's uncomfortable. That's where you're, uh, you're making this transition from, where you were to where you want to go, but you enter this place where it's very lonely and that's where the discomfort comes in. That's where you're thinking, you know what? I don't like it here. You know, I'm missing my friends. I'm missing the weekends. I'm, I'm missing my old life. Mm-hmm. But you know that if you hang in there and keep working on it, it's going to be worth it and you will get over that void and then find other people who are on the same journey as you and your, and your life turns out much better, of course, as both of us mm-hmm. know, but it's in that void where a lot of people slip back because it's too uncomfortable and too difficult to, to be alone. It's too, the, the loneliness can be too overwhelming. So, and as I mentioned in the previous podcast, uh, for anybody in that void right now, feel encouraged, you're on the right road, just hang in there, you know? Yeah, hang in there and, and ask for help Yeah, too. I think that's something that I learned the hard way was I was so stubborn and I, I had a lot of pride around doing it myself and doing it my way. It was like, I'm the lone wolf. I got this. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same, at the same time, I knew deep down that I had no idea what I was doing and I was so scared to, to let myself down and to let those around me down. And, you know, I was stressed out, but, and this was, you know, before I feel like nowadays there's so much more, um, there's so many more options, particularly for men to find a men's group or a men's coach or a community of brothers that can hold space, support, et cetera. Um, and so if you're listening to that, I would highly encourage you to, to get involved in something like that. That is, if I had to do it all again, that's one of the main things that I would do differently. It's like, I would find some dudes or even the the men in my life, I would make a more conscious effort to ask for their support and I would open up more and I'd be more vulnerable. And, uh, I feel like that would have made the journey so much easier. And, and to your point about the void, that, that is like, to me, the, the test of like how bad you actually want it, you know, it's like the void gets sort of like, uh, when you hit the wall as a runner, you're like in a workout and you're exhausted and you're like, uh, I know I said I was going to do two more reps, but like, eh, like <laughs> this is pretty good. Or like, I know I said I was going to stop drinking, but I'll just have the one beer, you know, out with the guys, I'll just have the one or, mm-hmm. and, and that, that to me is a, is an example of being out of integrity. Like in, I've, I've heard that word described as, um, keeping the promise that you made to yourself and having a life where your actions are aligned with your values. And so I think for men in particular, being in integrity is a game changer. I think, well, I take that back. Everybody in particular, not just men, but this idea of integrity and staying the course and living a life where your values are aligned with your actions because we all hit dark places, right? And it's not just when you're trying to change your life or your career or you're 
trajectory. It's like, you're going to have some two by fours from the universe that randomly find your head as a consequence of the uncertainty and inherent suffering that, that life is right. Like people that you care about are going to get sick. People are going to die. You're going to randomly get fired from jobs. Uh, you're going to lose money. You're going to have car accidents. Um, it's going to happen. And so I, I strongly support creating a community or a system or a plan or some kind of strategy now when things are going relatively well for when those cosmic two by fours smack you in the head, yeah. you're a little bit more prepared than, yeah. than not. Yeah, for sure. Again, I was nodding my head there when you were describing your own uh, process of uh, of being stubborn and doing it on your own and the lone wolf syndrome. And mm. Yeah, same as that. It was almost like, yeah, I've got this, but I really haven't fucking got this. Um, um, <laughs> it's uh, it got got to the point like um, maybe it was similar to yourself. Got to the point for me where I I just I needed to ask for help because if I didn't ask for help at that point, I would have absolutely had a mental breakdown. I was almost heading towards a breakdown because I was, I took on too much too soon, was completely overwhelmed with the work. I was doing 60 hours of coaching in the gym, then maybe another 10, 15 hours the weekend with programming and communication and everything else. And the relationship was suffering, you know, time with my daughter at the time was, was suffering. Like my, I was suffering. So mm. I said, okay, something needs to change here. I had a waiting list of people that I, I couldn't actually get in because no one was leaving. So, and yeah, reached out for help. And that was, that changed the game completely. It was a huge, huge relief. And, but that's something that I could have avoided if I, if I reached out sooner and swallowed my own pride and ego and say, hang on, like, look, man, you haven't done this business before. You haven't been here before. You, you, you don't have a fucking clue what you're doing. Just take a step back here and understand the consequences of your actions right now and where this is going. Now you can avoid that by, finding someone who's going to direct you towards the right path and direct you towards ultimately further success. And it just has gone on and on from there. So uh, yes, very important, man. And, you know, something I was uh, thinking of there when you, when you mentioned all that is, um, you know, sort of tying it in with your, with your kindness and your, and your compassion, you know, the, the most important person to be kind to and compassionate to is yourself, isn't it? So, it's uh you know that as well is a, is a massive reason to ask for help when you know that hang on a second like i'm i'm suffering here you know be kind to yourself and reach out for help be compassionate uh, to your own to your own suffering to your own situation and ask for help so yeah and look this is something that guys especially struggle with kindness and compassion it's like yeah that's that's weak that's soft you know so What's your perspective on that? I'm very interested to know. Like I, yeah, it's it's just sort of guy attitude, masculine attitude, um, especially compassion, because that's something for me that um, only up to recent times, I started to ask myself, am I compassionate towards myself? No, I'm I'm very critical of myself and I rarely give myself any praise or um, rarely give myself a, virtual pat in the back for the work I've done. I, I rarely re- reflect back and say, you know what, you've you've done a good job here. Rarely. Mm-hmm. And it's it's only sort of from conversations with people on podcasts that I started to 
become more compassionate by myself. And this has changed my energy massively. So, but I know there's a lot of guys who would struggle with this, um, especially the word compassion, because it's soft. Yeah. It's so soft and so yeah. fuzzy. It's <laughs> yeah. like a, it's like an adorable little puppy of a, of a word, isn't it? It's like, Oh, Oh, we need more. We need more love and compassion in the world. You fucking hippie. You don't understand how the world works. And yeah, you know, I get it. Yeah. There, there's part of me that still recognizes that I am a man now that I completely would have made fun of years ago. It's like, <laughs> Oh, Oh, you have a, you have a nose ring. Uh, you have a, a no- oh, that's fuck. That's cute. Oh, you have like a, you have some long hair. You go take a shower. You hippie. Like, oh, you like to hike. Huh? Yeah, that's cool. Like I would have completely made fun of myself. And so I, I realize that there is probably a part of all of us as men that feel similarly. Right. And, and to your point about the self-talk. Yeah. One way I've worked through that is I just imagine there's like a transcript of everything that I think about myself that's just posted on the internet. And it's like, hey, everybody, here's how I treat myself. Like if everybody knew that, like what would I be proud of that self-talk? I recently did a post where I talked about self-talk bingo, which is like if I had 30 things that I say to myself every day that gives me the greatest chance of getting a bingo, like what does my board actually look like? Is it like you're an asshole? You're a jerk. No one will ever love you. Oh, you idiot what's wrong with you versus, Hey, you're doing your best, man. Like keep going or I'm proud of you or, or well done. And so that's another way to, to look at that. But to your question, one way that I think about all of this stuff is the idea that sharing weakness is a sign of strength. Sharing weakness is a a sign of strength or that a kind heart is a strong heart right? Because I know, and I know that you know, and I know that every person listening to this knows that like, there have been days that have been horrific tragedies in my life. There have been days where I've been grieving when my mom was in the hospital with alcoholism, when a dog died that I love, like when I was going through a breakup, when my ex-partner cheated on me, like I've had some days that were hell. And on those same days, I still needed to go to the grocery store and I still needed to go to work. And I was still driving my car around town and I had to go mail things at the post office. And my entire inner landscape was devastated. Napalm, forest fire. There is no sign of life in me on those days. And I still needed to go live my life. Right. And so part of my desire to make kindness and compassion a thing that we all recognize is more valuable than we give it credit for currently is because I'm selfish. Like I have been absolutely devastated by life. And on those days, I was so stubborn and so selfish and so proud to ask for help and to admit defeat. And to, you know, ask for a hug or to make a phone call. And so I feel like for me, selfishly, on those days, in those past experiences, if we lived in a world in which kindness and compassion 
was just broadly accepted and prioritized, like my life would have been better. I would have had less suffering. I would have felt less alone. I would have had less dark thoughts. I would have made better decisions. Like I would have saved a lot of time. God, I would have saved so much time. I would have like, I'm like getting emotional thinking about it. Like, like I would have, I would have prevented so much pain, so much pain in myself and in others that I cared about. If I had felt okay asking for help. And if I was more loving to myself, if I was more compassionate to myself, if I spoke to myself more gently, like if I treated myself like I was a five-year-old boy trying to figure out life, because there is part of me and there's part of all of us that are genuinely just grown-up kids who've never done this before, that have no idea what we're doing, we're trying our best and we make mistakes and life is hard and it's scary and it's overwhelming and we fuck up sometimes. And so I think in those moments, I think that kindness and compassion is a, is a very reasonable response mm-hmm. because I've tried the alternative, which is judgment, shame, uh, insulting myself. I've tried to shame myself into being better and like it never works comparison is another one so i think just fundamentally the way that we can change the world is to be a little bit more kinder and a little bit more compassionate for ourselves Mm -hmm. because we we've never done this before like i've never been this age i've never been on this podcast when i changed my careers i'd never done that career before when i start dating someone i've never dated them before like And it is unreasonable to expect perfection, period. And yet I think we're taught to have such high standards that we we sacrifice our our hearts at the altar of perfection, so to speak. It's like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't work. It's not great. There's better options out there. We're all just winging it, aren't we? Yeah, man. I don't, I don't know. But like when I was born, I didn't get the cheat codes. Like, <laughs> I didn't get a, I didn't get a 10 page document when I turned 15. It was like, okay, here's how the next, here's what you need to know. Uh, and that's a con that's a whole separate conversation as a, about the culture and the loss of elderhood and the loss of initiation and the loss of community and belonging and the promotion of individuation and materialism and superficiality and all the rest of it, but we are immersed in a culture that glorifies different kinds of suffering at the expense of truth and heart and reality and connection and belonging and fulfillment. And so what I'm talking about really is the reclamation of a different way of living individually and collectively. Powerful. Yeah. It's and that, and that seeking for help. Yes, your own pride and your own ego may get in the way, but it, ultimately, I think for a lot of guys, their own fear gets in the way as well. And if you were to break that down again into its to its absolute core, mm-hmm. it's a fear of rejection. That if you were to express your true feelings or your true dissatisfactions or your true trauma, true problems, whatever it is 
that this would be somewhat rejected from the receiver, ultimately rejected from somebody perhaps you, you love because that's who you're going to open up to, maybe. So I've, I've, the last book I wrote was actually on, a lot of it was based on rejection and, and how we almost avoid certain actions like that to avoid rejection and ultimately we reject ourselves at the end of the day. So that for me is something as well, but this is something I feel that's deeply ingrained in, in childhood where maybe you express yourself in some way in front of your parents or did something to express yourself with your parents and that was rejected or was met with this disappointment. And ultimately you feel like the disappointment. My true self is a disappointment. I'm a disappointment. So I better not show this again. I better not show this. I better not express this weakness or express this pain again. So you keep it to yourself. And I think we've been conditioned to do that. Um, which, mm. you know, is that something you, you can relate to? No, man, I've just always loved myself and uh, just float on a cloud all day long, Gavin. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but the fear, no, the fear of it yeah, all, fear of rejection. hundred percent. Yeah. That it's a hundred percent. And like the other, the other aspect of that is when we're in those thought patterns, we're rejecting ourselves. Yeah. Right. As, as you know, and I'm sure I've written about is like, when I, when I worry that, if I show my friends and my family, my true self, they won't love me at the core of that is this belief that I am unlovable as I am. Right. And all of the stuff that I've been talking about goes back to those core beliefs about self-love and self-acceptance. And to your point about, you know, being strong and, and how, uh, compassion is so weak and etc. It's like you see these these big strong dudes at the at the gym or on the internet and they could run forever and it's like okay yeah you're strong so tell me about the worst day of your life tell me about something that you feel shame about show me what you look like when you grieve like that's a different kind of strength entirely and I value that version much more than I value how many push-ups you can do or what you can bench. Mm -hmm. And so I think collectively we're all starting to shift how we define what it means to be a man, how we define masculinity, what healthy means. And I think there's a corresponding uh, revolution, so to speak, or a, a transformation about what health is, right? And so a lot of my work, and, and I think yours as well, is about asking powerful questions to people and having them get new perspectives and ideas about what it means to live a good life, right? I think that's the work that we're Mm -hmm. We're attempting to navigate to death together. Yeah. 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 yeah they're to death. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Uh, like question everything ultimately. And most importantly, question yourself. You know, is yeah. it the life you're living true to you is your life is, is the life you're living your life. Or are you doing it based on someone else's expectations? Are you, are you uh, hiding away from, are you from your trauma, from your pain, from 
the fear of rejection or whatever it may be. So that for me has been the the, the value of of uh, self reflection and and journaling, especially something I've I'm a big advocate of is finding time on your own every single day and just pay attention to your thoughts, write them down. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you every single day, you're going to learn something new about yourself. As I have done over the last, I've been journaling now consistently the last three years, perhaps. So I've discovered a lot of mm-hmm. things and it's helped me make, <laughs> help me make better decisions as, as I move forward, as I, as I've harnessed my self-awareness. So that's very important. I feel. And yeah. Is there anything you want to add in there in terms of your own practices or anything that someone? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm a fan of, of like getting better at being uncomfortable. I just, I just saw a video you posted about jumping in a cold ass lake or river or something like that. And yeah, yeah I watched it like five minutes before I jumped in my cold shower in the morning. And, um, and so I do like, I jump in the shower and I have it cold and I hate my life and it's so uncomfortable. And every day I don't want to get in it. And I stare at the handle for longer than necessary and I'm miserable. And, uh, you know, I cultivate conscious choice whereby I put myself in an uncomfortable situation. And I do that because it is helpful for when I need to have a hard conversation with my girlfriend. It's helpful for when I need to bring up something with a friend of mine. It's helpful when I need to launch a new product or business on the internet and I'm scared and it's so uncomfortable. And so I think what I would offer is that discomfort is something to be savored or practiced rather than something to be avoided at all costs. Yeah. Um, and so I think the more that we can become uncomfortable the better. And another thing that I'm a huge proponent of is meditation. Uh, The idea of just getting still, I call it presence practice or boredom practice or awareness practice. But um, in the same way that you use journaling to clarify your thoughts and develop some awareness, that's a huge one for me. Um, Just being here now. I think is one of the ultimate challenges yeah. and rewards. So, uh, so yeah, I would leave, I would leave that. Whatever yeah. that is to the individual as well. You know, some people like to run, some people like to paint, like whatever helps you get present and clear and um, more in tune with who you really are deep down beneath all the layers and expectations and relationships and comparisons and all that. It's like, who are you really? And then the, the final thing that I will leave is a, is a line that I wish that I wrote, but I did not write it. It's a, a friend of mine named Buddy Wakefield, who's a poet. And he says this great line, which is pretend inside your skin, you've got a friend who's willing to give you everything you've ever wanted in exchange for all you've ever been. And just love that. It's like, yeah, you can have it all but it's going to cost you everything that you think you have. Like you're going to have to change your identity is going to shift. You're going to lose some friends and relationships. You're going to have to make different decisions. You're going to have to have some new habits and rituals. Like you're going to have to live a different life. But like, if you want to do that, then anything is possible. Let's go everyone. (laughs) (laughs) 
yes Let's uh, go. yes thank you jeremy um as i said yeah load of value there thank you so much and inspiration so if anyone i'm sure they will want to find you where's the best place to to reach you and, and to get in touch yeah so my website is longdistancelovebombs.com and i'm most active on instagram at long distance love bombs i have lots of writing on there i share little videos and mm-hmm. and then if you're somehow still listening and not sick of my voice i have a podcast also called the long distance love bombs podcast where i interview thought leaders, relationship experts, therapists, coaches. Uh, I've interviewed a bunch of New York Times bestsellers and just trying to understand the world a little bit better. And um, and then, yeah, as you said at the beginning, I've got a book um, that's a bunch of little tear and share inspirational little poems that that started from when I started writing those little notes on the back of my card. But And then, yeah, I do workshops and retreats around the world periodically. So find me on Instagram, sign up for my email list and uh, yeah, just hit me up if you have any feedback or questions. Excellent. Well, yeah. yeah in the show notes there, there'll be, there, there will be the links for all those. So go and check them out. And uh, Jeremy, thank you so much for your time, man. Absolutely privileged. Yeah. Thank Thanks you. for having me, man. This was fun.